<laughs> this week in our time, I'm like, no, go for it. Because, you know, it, it only takes, you know, one or two friends of each of those people who are already connected to go, and it's definitely possible. It was camps that changed my life as a young person. I'm glad we got a great camp ministry uh, for youth around here. Friends, we're going to park here for one more moment on the subject that uh, I gave reference to last week for this first of the year, and that is living the life of prayer. Next week, we will start a new series. It will be in the book of Nehemiah. How many of you know who Nehemiah was in the scriptures? If not, that's fine. All right. You guys are all in for a great treat and a ride. Nehemiah was a um, great man of God used uh, in the history of scripture for the Israelites. But what he did points to how we can have um, purpose in our own life with the passions God puts on our heart and making a difference for him. And so we are going to be starting that series, as I mentioned, with this book called Favor with Kings. And um, get the book. Be here next week. We're going to launch in this for several weeks and discover what God has for us. I'm going to pray. Jesus, so many rich things to think about as we begin this year. Even the richness of being able to worship and celebrate your goodness, celebrate a great student winter camp. To be able to look forward to group studies and times of interaction as a community. But Lord, I pray as we begin this year that we would begin this prayer in one sense on our knees. And that we would take these next few moments of this hour to be reminded of what your spirit wants to remind us of. Concerning this which was such a vital part of your life when you were here on this earth, Jesus. In your name, amen. So I mentioned last week that there's only one thing that the disciples actually in Scripture, it's recorded, asked Jesus to teach them. And that was, he said, teach us how to pray. And my suspicion is this, I don't really know. But they watched Jesus operate in the world of his day, and he saw the, they saw the compassion he had. And they, they saw his um, authority he brought. But they saw the power in his life. And somewhere they started to equate the power of Jesus to the prayer of Jesus. And they probably observed that when he went away and he spent time in prayer, that he came out of the prayer closet and he had some power that he didn't necessarily have from before. Now, I'm not saying Jesus didn't have power, but there was some particular aspect where prayer and power were tied together. This last week, um, last couple of weeks, actually, um, there's a little book by Ian e. Bounds, and he wrote a bunch of little books. And, and the book that he wrote uh, that I went back through, it's a classic, is called um, The Power of Prayer. And in there, he just kicks the preacher's butts about not being people, men, women of prayer. Because prayer is intricately tired to, uh, tied to power for living, power for ministry, and power for this church. So if this church, if we as a community of people aren't engaged in prayer, then there's not going to be much power to see transformation happen in our lives, our families' lives, our neighbors' lives, in our nation, whatever it may be. And so if we want to see change happen, then we better dial in with the prayer deal. 
Because prayer and power are tied together. And last week, the passage we looked at that Jesus came back to reference concerning this was Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, he said, well, then this is how you should pray. So buckle in, listen up. This is Jesus speaking, not me. Jesus says this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And last week I mentioned that he begins this with an articulation of three things that really need to be happening. Our Father in heaven talks about the intimacy that he had with Christ. But when he says, hallowed be your name, he's saying, may your name be holy. And it wasn't like, hey, this is who you are, your holy father, your holy God, you know. No, he says, may your name be holy and revered in all the earth. And then he says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom is the reign, the rule, what God wants to do in your life. If you want the reign of God in your life, then you want the rule and the leadership of God in your life. A lot of people don't want the rule and reign of God in their life, so they disconnect. They forget it. They run from God. They're scared, like Job mentioned in worship. Like, no way. But he says, pray that your kingdom come. God's kingdom comes. His rule and reign comes. And then tied with that is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And those three things, hallowed be your name. May holy name be on this earth. May your kingdom, your reign, your will be done. And I want it to happen here on earth as it is in heaven. And the heavens talking about the eternal realm. Because guess what? God's will will be done. The sovereign will of God is nothing you have to sweat about. He's got it under control. But he desires that that sovereign will of his in the heavens would play its way out here in the earth. Because it doesn't. Mankind, you and I have been given freedom to choose. We can say, nah, forget that. I don't care about that, God. I'll go my own direction. And surely all of us have been there, right? Because we're all born with a sinful kind of nature to say, ah, forget it. And we miss the mark. That's what sin means. But we desire to see his will about here on earth, beginning in our own lives, our families, our neighborhoods, our workplace, just as it is in the eternal realm. And Jesus says, this is how you should pray. You don't pray wimpy little prayers. Oh, God, I sure hope that you get it figured out down here. I hope things sort of work their way through to a much better day. No, his sovereign will happen, but he will ask us to pray that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, give us today our daily bread. Now, you may have heard of a common way to pray is with the Acts, A-C-T-S, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. If you look at this, there's not a lot of thanksgiving going on there. It's like, well, where's the thanksgiving part of the prayer that we're supposed to give thanksgiving? Well, if you look at it, give us today our daily bread sort of leans it that way. Here's the acknowledgement that you have to have daily bread. Now, most of us have our bread stored in a pantry. We got a bunch of other frozen stuff in the freezer. We got our refrigerators full. We don't get up this morning and go, where's my daily bread? just go get it but back then you had to depend on daily bread you went to the market or did you have means you went out to look at your crops or your herd now listen we have lost something today in this because we become what self-sufficient 
we don't think we need God's intervention. But for them, daily bread was critical. Think of the Israelites when they left Egypt and God provided the manna from heaven. They woke up every morning. Is it going to be there or not? What about the quail? Is it going to be there or not? So when he says, give us today our daily bread, it's not just a nice little colloquial of some, you know, hey, this is nice daily bread. No, he's saying, acknowledge that your every day is dependent on me and pray in a spirit of thanksgiving for your daily bread, but then pray that the provision would continue on. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, sometimes it says trespasses. The best way is probably to say forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. All right? And so he's looking at the whole area of forgiveness because we are in a people, relational world, and we're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to offend one another. In fact, some of you this week probably got hurt by somebody and it's still agitating you this morning and you're going, I can't believe they did that. Right? That's common into the human experience. And Jesus says, pray that there would be forgiveness that abounds. First, God forgiving us of our sins. And we also then need to pray to forgive those who sin against us. And then lead us not into temptation. That's pretty straightforward, right? We're all tempted, and, and Jesus knew that. Jesus was tempted in all such ways as we were, with, except without sin. He was tempted by Satan directly, boom, right in the face. Before he began his ministry, Jesus knew temptation. And he says, lead us not into temptation. May that be a prayer. Protect us and then deliver us from that evil one. So this is Jesus' a little uh, synopsis. You want to know how to pray? When I go away and I come back and I have the power, this is how I sort of frame up my prayer. You and I, to live a life of prayer, use this as a model. Frame it up in that manner. What I'd like to talk to you today about real quickly are four things. And... These four things are sort of things, I guess I just sort of, I sat down and I said, Lord, this whole subject of prayer, again, front and center, 2017. What is it I need to remember and what I need to remind the people of? Number one is this. Prayer works in me to make my heart and life one with God. Why do you think Jesus had the power when he had the time away with his father in concentrated times? There was just something about the intimacy that he had with God the Father that worked in his heart afresh and anew. And if you want God to work in your heart and in your life to be one with God, then isolate some time to pray on a regular basis. Yeah, we pray at all times, right? Prayer without ceasing. When I'm driving and popcorn prayer here or there. But find some concentrated time to pray. My goodness. I've looked through most of those channels on the television. There can be room to let go of that for 15 minutes. And find time to pray with God. But here's what happens if you're like me. When you have concentrated time of prayer, besides your mind wandering and sometimes you maybe get a little sleepy, that kind of stuff, you, you have to want it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying the prayer. You have to want being one with God. If you are awkward with somebody that's offended you or hurt you, or maybe they're just a little weird, you don't like to have one-on-one -on -one time. 
one-on-one time means you're going to have to address and communicate and deal with stuff. So if you are going to set a time side time for prayer, the motivation is going to come that you want to have a heart and life that's one with God. And you see, not only in Jesus, of course, but throughout history, that's why someone like that Ian Bounds, who wrote so many little volumes on prayer, uh, people that labor in prayer are not because they want to throw a bunch of guilt trips on us, so they need to pray more. They wanted to know God. And so if you want to know God, you've got to capsulate time to pray and intercede with Him. Prayer walks have always been good for me. That's why I have to be out in nature a little bit and those kinds of things, because that's how my heart flourishes. Prayer works in me to make my heart and life one with God. Look at this passage of Jesus and this high priestly prayer before he went to the cross. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. So he's pulled away. This is before he's going to the cross. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that you may know that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Wow. We read through it quick. Take some time to look at all of John 17 this week. Jesus, incarnate, God in a body, dependent on God the Father, an intimacy, a oneness. And here he's praying in that intimate, one with God kind of life dimension. Do your prayers reflect that kind of relationship with God the Father? Or you, boom, you're in, the, you're in the moment and you lift up your prayer request and boom, you're out and on your way. He spent time laboring in prayer. Carrie, spend time laboring in prayer this year because why? It's the right thing to do as a pastor? No, because I want to be one with God. One in heart and one with life. But to be honest, some of us just will not get there. And no guilt trip. I just might as well just articulate clear framework of the stuff. Having a heart and life that's one with God isn't that much of a priority. Number two, prayer is the means by which God's power is placed into action. I am reminded of this over and over again. I will get a text. I will get a Facebook prompt. I will have somebody come meet with me and inevitably it'll be, will you pray for me? Or all want to say, I'm going to pray for you. Is that just a nice way to put a period at the end of a sentence or at the end of a conversation and say, hey, see you later? No, I'm reminded that your particular situation and mine needs to be impacted by God. And if God's going to intervene, then we need the power of God in that situation. And the power of God is for mostly coming through prayer. I have to just park here for a second. Because there's discoveries in prayer which enlighten us to be more diligent to pray first rather than last. With God, 
he's not locked up into himself. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here in this place, right? We know that through his Spirit, that's the Spirit of Jesus, he can be in a room like this. But Jesus, as the Son of God, was dependent on the Father, and the Father was generously giving to the Son. There is a relationship dynamic between the Trinity of God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God is giving to the Son, as the Son asks, and the Son is receiving, and God is being glorified. That relationship in the Trinity is now extended to you if you are a follower of Jesus. And so when we pray, we get to participate, as I sometimes say, in the governing board of the Godhead. New president this week. He has been picking cabinet members. They will convene and they will have a cabinet meeting. I don't know the room or the situation, but there's probably some big doors that they all walk through. And they sit around a huge table and they labor over the issues of the nation and the world. Now, you don't get to be a part of the next presidential cabinet. At least I don't think any of you here are. Too bad. But you are a part of the Godhead cabinet. And he lets you walk through those doors, have a seat at the conference table, and enter your perspective and your plea. He opens up the governing of the world. His will be done here on earth as it is in heaven by allowing you, because Jesus lives in you if you're a follower of Jesus, to participate in the governing decisions of the Godhead. And in that, we petition. We may uh, give reference to a need that's happening. We are an extension of God's ministry here on earth. And prayer is the means by which we articulate what we perceive God's will that needs to happen in a particular situation. Prayer is the mean by which God's power is placed into action. He is not a fatalist. And what I mean by that, well, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Why do I even need to pray? Right? Well, no. You've got to understand, God doesn't live in a time-space continuum like we do. With God, it's an ever-present now. The past never passes. The future is always present. I don't have time to drill down on that. It'll hurt your brain anyway. But you've got to understand this. God is living in a dynamic state. And so the decisions around the conference table are real-time. And the real-time decisions you get to participate in. And the power is not you It's the one who's seated at the head. The one who's seated at the head. Prayer works in me to make my heart and life one with God. Prayer is the means by which God's power is placed into action. Look at this passage in James. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders, spiritual leaders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of Jesus and the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And then it gives this illustration of Elijah. I'm like, come on, get real. Elijah's Old Testament prophet. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. What? Elijah walked into the boardroom and said, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to intercede that it will not rain on this land. And God worked through Elijah and that whole prophetic word and that prayer and what happened and transpired from there. But Elijah, I like the phrase. Don't you like the phrase in verse 17 of James 5? Elijah was a human being 
even as we are. Other versions, Elijah was a man just like us. Every one of us have the opportunity to pray and to intercede in the name of Jesus. And we extend his power. Number three, prayer fights off the attacks of the enemy on family, ministry, and mission. It was a year ago, last week, January 7th, that I was in a very bad pickup truck accident. Some of you may recall this. I was back in Indiana visiting my family. I was in one of their pickups. I was heading to a place to take care of a rental house I still have back there. There was a little hill to the right. My neck on my whole back had been stiff for several days, so I didn't rightly turn to look both ways, and the car must have been hidden through the hill. I pulled out from a stop sign in the middle of the country and got T-boned by somebody going 60 miles an hour right in the passenger side, threw both of our vehicles out into the field next door, destroyed the whole front of his car. I looked over at him, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? For me, I was, you know, you've been in the accident, your adrenaline's rushing, those kinds of things going on. But it was the culmination of several things, even some of the things that were happening at our church at that time, that just caused me to break. And when my brothers finally got there, and there's probably 10 emergency vehicles around, that kind of stuff, and I'm like, great, what scene I caused. Thankfully, the guy was okay, though they took him off the ambulance, and I was doing pretty decent. I just cried out when they came, and I said, I quit. I quit. I quit. You may recall me saying that because I was trying to keep so many things going in life, and I felt the adversary's challenge in my life was to just say quit. Now, there's some ways I needed to quit. But really what I was in was in a spiritual battle. And I began to acknowledge it more then. Prayer fights off the attacks of the enemy on your family, in our ministry, in the mission that God's called us to. You may not believe it's true that there's this spiritual realm that hovers around us. I want to encourage you to endear yourself to at least studying it. Because there is an enemy, he has his workers, his fallen angels, demonic spirits, whatever they may be called that you want to call them. But they are wreaking havoc on this world. Wreaking havoc. I heard this week of a 13-year-old that took his life. My first response, why would a 13-year-old take their life? Oh, yeah, maybe there's you know behavioral issues going on. Maybe there's family issues, whatever. I don't know. But I'm saying, doggone it. Satan? You are not going to win the battle over the teenagers in our valley. Because there's a spiritual battle. And prayer, spiritual warfare, fights off the enemy. You believe that? The 72 returned with joy after Jesus sent them out on Luke 10, verse 17. And they came back to him, these disciples did, and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, yep, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven when you were out because he sees the spiritual realm. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Not literally. There's some folks that actually believe that, I suppose. But snakes and scorpions have to do with the enemy, the spiritual enemy, the unclean spirits. And to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. And then he kicks back and he says, hey, chill out. 
Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't get all into it that you have authority in my name over them. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And, hey, keep up the good work. He kept sending them out to preach the good news, to tell them the kingdom of God was at hand, and to heal the sick and to cast out demons. We live in a spiritual world. And prayer fights off the attacks of the enemy. And finally, four, prayer sends the light into the heart of God as he enjoys our communion. This is a, a rightful motivation for prayer. Don't you like to please people? You like to please your spouse? You like to please your friend? You like to please maybe your boss, your kids? How about pleasing God? God gets, I'll use the word tickle, when you spend time with him. He loves that kind of communion. Oh, you're buzzing through your day, your week, your month, your year. But he really enjoys the time that he gets to spend with you. Psalm 141.2 May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hand be like the evening sacrifice. Like incense before God. Those are four key things that just came to my mind on this whole subject of prayer. Now, there's a lot of talk about this subject, but there's not much action on this subject. So I'm now going to create some awkward moments for all of you. You don't have to feel awkward. You can stay right where you're at in your seat. But in a little bit, we're going to spend a few moments in some prayer circles. And there's three things I'm going to have us pray for. You're going to get in these circles. We'll do one back by the cross there, one back in that corner. I guess one can meet up here, maybe another one here. And I'll ask that the prayer team people and the elders that are here, they disperse themselves around equally to every group. So there's a little bit of a leadership. I want you to go around and say your name. This first name's good. Hey, my name's so-and-so. And uh, then I'm going to have us pray. And we're going to pray um, some brief words of thanksgiving. We're going to pray for a critical week in our nation and for our nation's leadership. And then we're going to pray for our church and our neighborhoods for 2017. Now, we're not going to take hardly any time to do this. But there's something to be said about praying together. In fact, many of the commands of prayer are we, us. Prayer is not a solo project only. Now, if you don't want to, I want you to pray as an individual rather than a group. And that's totally cool. And so you can stay right in your seat. But we're going to take about 15 minutes to do this. So there's a circle here, a circle there, a circle over there, and a circle here. And we'll put up here the three, the four things, and I will walk you through each of them quickly. So don't go off in long prayers, like some sentence prayers are good, right? And you can be quiet. You don't have to pray in this circle either. And if there's awkward silence in your circle, that's okay. God's not awkward with silence. He hears your heart. Okay? And so when we go on these prayer circles, I just want you to spend a few moments doing that. And uh, then we'll come back. There was a missionary who, um, he was home on furlough or home assignment, sort of like missionaries were last week that we had the opportunity to hear from uh, Jordan and Joy Allen. 
and he was at his home church in Michigan. He was a missionary in Africa. He um, worked out in a very isolated kind of village, and every few weeks he would uh, take a two-day journey on a bicycle that required him to stay overnight and sleep on his own somewhere and get into the big city. In there he would get money. He would um, then get medicines and supplies, and then he would head back, and he would just do this on a regular basis. And so he was articulating to his home church congregation what was happening. And he said there was one particular trip where he went into the city and he saw a guy who had been in an accident. He stopped, he ministered care to him, and then he um, uh, uh, shared with him the gospel of Jesus and went on his way. He came back a few weeks later and he got into town and he saw this same gentleman. And the gentleman walked up to him and said, hey, do you know that when you were here before me and my buddies, we followed you when you left and you went to sleep in the woods of the two-day journey, and we were going to rob you of your money and the drugs and the medicines you got and harm you. But when we and my buddies got there, there were 26 armed people around you. And the missionary thought, no, that's not true. I know. I was by myself, bicycle, sat there. He says, no, here's my buddies. They'll tell you. Yeah, there was 26. And he shared that story with the congregation, a guy stands up in his home congregation and knows him. He says, wait a second. He says, can you tell me the exact time that you uh, had that happen to you? Because see, here it was daytime when it was nighttime in Africa. And sure enough, it coincided. The guy said, I was planning on golfing that day, about to putt, and I had this tremendous urgency to pray for you. And so I left. And I went and I grabbed a bunch of people from guys from church, and we prayed for you in that exact moment. And the missionary paused and he says, "Who stood with this man and prayed?" And he wasn't interested in the faces and the names; he was interested in counting. And there were 26 men that had joined together and prayed fervently that morning while that man was in that womb armed soldiers. If those stories seem like a little bit out there to you, they shouldn't because it's a spiritual world. Your prayers are powerful and effective. Your prayers endear yourself to God. Bring in that intimacy and they hold the enemy at bay. So when we pray, we should pray with belief. So with this, we're going to break in our groups. You can stay where you're at. You're going to stand right up. One group. Two groups, three groups, four groups. Circle up, and then we're going to walk through praying out loud in these circles. You can go wherever you like. All right, I want to make sure I have a lever. Got Robert over here. Who do I have back there? I got the Pernakians back there. 